Welcome everyone to the 30th episode of the Mocha Live podcast. I'm just going to keep this cold open short and sweet. Today's episode is about Mocha, its history, its origins, what it means to myself and to Colborn and all of crypto art. We are right now in the middle of a fundraiser that will, without exaggeration, decide the shape and scope of our museum in the year to come. If you're listening to this, please, please, please come to our Twitter page at Museum of Crypto, where you'll find all sorts of information about our fundraiser. Please learn about it, engage with what we're doing, and consider supporting us any way you can. We really need it, and throughout the next episode, we'll talk about why. So please, again, learn about the fundraiser, contribute if you can, and enjoy this 30th episode of the Mocha Live podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. It is 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Max Cohen. This is the Mocha Live podcast. And we have a great one for you today. It's been a really long time since it's just been me and my main man, Colburn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, just shooting it, talking, hanging out. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, just hang with you, Colburn. How, how you doing? Yeah, I'm great. It's been, a, it's been a fun couple of weeks. Looking to be another fun couple of weeks. Um, what do we got? Like three days, 20 hours left until the fundraiser closes? Uh, something like three days, 20 hours, 28 minutes, and 43, 42, oh, 41, okay. 40 seconds. So but who's counting? Who's doing their homework, yeah. Um, Colborne's been all up and down the uh, crypto art world of late. He's has a million things going on, and we were just talking before we got on about his uh, somehow holding off burnout with uh, the Mocha fundraiser and with Zero One pumping and people loving that. What were you saying, Colborne? It was what number gas user on Avalanche? Oh, three. Number three, <laughs> bigger than Binance. After, after 13 days. It's crazy. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Almost 40,000 NFTs collected. It's a remarkable achievement. And uh, it's fun. you don't look like you haven't slept in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm thinking I must have had COVID a couple weeks ago because I've been sleeping like crazy. Um, uh, that happened to me last year when I got it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I figure we should save a discussion of my fantasy football team till the end of this podcast. So let's just jump right into our topic of the day, which is uh, MOCA, the Museum of Crypto Art, the organization, Colborne, that you started that has been a really, really important part of my life for just about two years now. Um, I want to talk about MOCA. I want to talk about the history of MOCA. I want to talk about what MOCA means to us. We have this fundraiser going right now that I'm sure if you follow us on Twitter, if you're watching this on Twitter, you've seen us talk about a trillion times the largest collaboration in the history of crypto art, 713 artists in a single mosaic NFT that when you click into it, it becomes a dynamic NFT. It's unlike anything we've seen before, unlike anything I think has been done before. Um, we wanted to talk about why this project is so important to us and maybe it's humble beginnings and what it means to the world. So Colburn, maybe we should start at the beginning. Why did you start Mocha? What was the drive there? Yeah. You know, it was uh, one of those like, perfect confluence of events, right? Because it all, I guess you wind it back to 2017, you know, and I had been original adopter of Mooncats, was breeding crypto kitties was on the additional app um, and had participated in like the, the, the Decentraland ICO. Did Decentraland precede CryptoVoxels? You know, I actually didn't know of CryptoVoxels until after 
Decentraland got so much press and publicity because of its mana ICO. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you know you bought the token and then you kind of converted it into like estates in managed places or estates that were your own. And I had converted like a fair amount into this this bit of land. And it was in January of 2020 that I was in Mexico at a crypto conference, was speaking, you know, more with really, truly one of the original crypto pioneers, period, Steve Wand. And he was very excited about NFTs and the metaverse and suggested, you know, begin to look into these things. And originally, you know, got into um, like Zed Run like a horse racing game. And, yeah, yeah. and then it was, uh, you know, it was, I was more interested in gaming at that time because I could understand the applications, but it was in February of 2020 when Decentraland opened their gates and people could run around. So I was in there kind of exploring. There were all these great experiences, uh, but I kind of felt like there was something more and I found Somnium space and that got me into VR and then it was like, okay, this is super cool. At the same time, a friend of mine asked me to, you know, look at Super Rare. Buddy, who was who was an investor, said take a look at Super Rare. And I, having, I think, like the the mental model frame of reference from Additional, I, I pretty quickly understood it. Began to place bids. Uh, was, you know, having a lot of artwork accepted and. Did you have like relationships with these artists before you started bidding on Super Rare? Like, did you know who no, they were? They're just nobody. names. Yeah, nobody. I mean, they could. I don't. I don't even think I really used Twitter. You know, the idea. The idea I remember was talking. Like, yeah, I was just gonna say. I remember talking to Robness about like his experience in early crypto art in like 2016, and from what I understand, it was mostly in like closed Telegram chats, right? And I believe Super yeah. Rare had a closed Telegram chat as well. It wasn't quite on, you know, public Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, of course, being in Telegram and hating Telegram because you would just get invited to a bunch of groups, you'd get flooded out, it was totally, totally worthless. Um, <laughs> it was probably through Super Rare that, you know, I got into Discord, uh, or actually, I had known Discord through some other, like, gaming things, but it never made sense to me that, like, a crypto project would apply it in that way. Uh, mm-hmm. This is all so irrelevant. The, the point <laughs> is, <laughs> the point is that, you know, in insomnia space at the time, it was really just like blue sky, green grass. And it was like, what kid do you want to create here? Well, Somnium space had the ability to bring in NFTs, right? It, had, it was scanning the blockchain, could bring in NFTs. And the idea was born to, you know, create a museum. Let's begin mm-hmm. to showcase these. Let's begin to tell artist stories. Um, you know, not long after we did our first artist solo show and we were just building in insomnium space. And the aesthetic, I think, was so far removed from what people had seen and were used to that it was a major step forward and that, you know, these digital environments are going to be interesting ways in which we will be able to read, like, verified blockchain assets. Because the only way you could pull a NFT into your parcel in Somnium space was if you actually owned that asset. Mm-hmm. So it was, and then, you know, so this gave people, you know, the idea of a museum began to, I think, prescribe the idea of like history and value. And we began to talk about crypto art as a, a movement of artists coming together who were demanding these things. 
And whereas there were artists and whereas there were marketplaces, suddenly there began to be like third parties that were talking about these artists saying like, look at this, this is important. And, you know, that led to more activity on the market side and there, there a flywheel was born. When was the physical, like the Somnium Space Museum itself, which was called Agora, which uh, Untitled XYZ created? Like, when would, did that actually come into play? Like, what were you so, using as the museum? So, I mean, you know, the first architect of the museum was Desiree Cassoni that opened in April uh, of 2020. And then Untitled Agora opened in January of 2021. Um, you know, we were running from in between that time, a very active artist incubator in which we would give land to artists to mm. build their own exhibition spaces, uh, you know, for the stuff that, that we couldn't build at the time. It was actually through that, that incubator program that we found Untitled um, mm. and was just so blown away with, with the design uh, that, that he would ultimately become the full-time architect of the museum. You know, it's interesting to think about Mocha as starting as like an actual museum, because I feel like I spoke about this with uh, Julian Brangold a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about how Mocha has evolved to become kind of like an ideological museum, right? We spoke at length about what does it mean to have a museum that's not in a physical space? And it's just really fascinating to hear that like, it wasn't just this name, right? It was a museum of crypto art. That's literally what it was. Like, when did you so start? So it was like pretty much like a rite of passage at that time for, you know, like an, an artist to, to come in to like meet us. We'd give them a tour of the museum. They would begin to see like what was possible. I can't tell you like how many one-on-one -on -one tours I did with artists where we would go and we would like walk around the museum in VR. Mm -hmm. uh it was it was it was really really interesting because i think it it just opened people's minds a bit as to what this space could be and where all of this could pet so at what point did the museum start to become like an unmuseum right or like an institution i know that's a word you use a lot instead of an institution yeah, an institution. institution you know there was no real formal structure to it it was really just a passion project when it was opened so in January of 2020, 2021, it was incorporated as, you know, a foundation. Um, and, you know, that's when we like collectively made the decision to turn over, uh, over, you know, a, a year's process, like our control over the museum and try and return it back to the artists. So what did it mean suddenly when the artists were in charge of the museum, um, and it was kind of a museum of the artists instead of, I don't know, perhaps vice versa. You know, by the time I, I got to MoCA in, I think, October of 2021, it was already, I think, had its sights set on becoming more of this, like, executional idea, right? We wanted to do more as, like, a, a thought institution, as a thought leader. I mean, I call it, like, a museum unbecoming, right? Yeah. Because we want to invert the the power dynamic in which like curation is made instead of a, it being a top down funnel a, a really a bottom up mm -hmm. and that's the ethos of the community collection it's the ethos i think of like so much of what we do to you know, try and highlight again not only like preserve artists and like i guess like from the top or bottom up like build the history of crypto art but you know what does it mean when like the totality of the museum are different nodes being the room owners 
kind of comprising mm-hmm. the totality of the museum and then having other people being able to kind of like upvote and lift the curations that other people are doing. Yeah, I mean, rooms are, have been a difficult sell, but like the idea I think is so powerful that people would be able to own the museum itself, right, and curate on behalf of the museum. Um, I'm, I, I'm not sure we ever got that messaging quite across that like we wanted these rooms and the owners of these rooms to be like emissaries of the museum itself, that you would own this room, but the room would be indelibly connected to everything MOCA and it would be like highlighted within MOCA systems, but we would also be like relying on these room holders to go also discover artists, activate them in the community collection, like build the lore of these artists and take people around those spaces. I mean, you know, as it turned out, very few people actually cared about the arts, right? And now like everybody who... You know, there was always that core group and there still is that core group and that core group is going. But, you know, very few people in in the hype of it all would take the time to curate their collection. I mean, I still have not curated like the collection that I had from three years ago. Sure. Right. I've been like building new projects. I haven't found like the proper and that bothers me. That's part of like a large reason why I. I don't really want to buy anymore because I don't feel comfortable in the way in which these things are like being cared for and displayed and showcased. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're about to see, I feel like we always say this every couple of months, but I think curation and collection with intention is about to become so much more important, especially in the next like bull cycle, if slash when it comes, Uh, I have an essay coming out at some point about like collectors versus buyers and like making the distinction between them and how important it's going to be when there are, you know, when the next, exponential increase in artists come to the space most of them looking to capitalize on investment the way that a lot of people did in 2021 who are now leaving it's going to be really important that there are collectors and curators so that we can save the important pieces from this rushing river of crypto art that's being created so uh frequently and i mean who who is going to be able to do it better than the artists who have participated from the beginning yeah. Right? And that that for me is why it's really important that the museum itself is like represented and cared for and like co stakeholdered by the people who are actually participatory in the movement itself. Well, that's the, the only people who can really be trusted in any environment to act appropriately are going to be or act compassionately or people who have a stake in the success of the whole thing. I think that's why we still see so many early artists who are like leading the charge on blockchain capabilities in the first place, because they have a stake in the advancement of this whole thing. They've, you know, the more time you spend in it, obviously the more of your soul, the more of your career that you're staking on like the success and progress and advancement of the space as a whole. I just got my first room today on a slight uh, non sequitur. Congratulations. I saw those, those were uh, cool rooms. Yeah. Thank you very much. Super, super exciting. I have this idea. It's like this, um, this kind of ziggurat structure from um, Manuel Mensa. And I have this idea of like creating this hyperfi room. That's like a jungle. It's like you get plopped down in this jungle and you weave yourself through the trees for a while. And maybe you like catch a glimpse of the ziggurat itself in the distance. And then you get to it. I want to like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like this anthropological idea. I feel like of explorers in the Amazon coming upon some like ancient civilization. But anyways, I mean, that's not- I will, I will say like in the beginning of this, and this is incredible. It used to take us like 10 days, two weeks, start to finish to put together an art exhibition. And that felt fast, right? Mm-hmm. That was really fast. But now with, with the tech that we've built, like I can take my collection 
and like curate it, get it on the walls of these rooms up and deployed into the metaverse in 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, I remember I was on, I was on the wit meetup last week with a uh, Rizzle and um, Matt from nifty gateway. And they, I had like sent them an asset, um, a room that we had like 15 minutes before and they plopped it down in this space. And I came in and it was like, there it was all curated and everything. And it was like yeah. am- amazing. It was no time at all. Yeah, it's incredible tech. And it just doesn't have enough uh, people who understand it or want to like participate in this way. Um, and that was always consistent, you know? I think the most people we ever got in for an art show was about 40 or 50 concurrently. So who have we done solo shows with? I know we did one with Sky Golpe. I know we did one with yeah, Hackett now. I, I can do this. Hackett. It was, it was, <laughs> uh, was Ryolite. It was Julia K. Ponsford. It was Espen Cluj. Uh, it was Daim Alyad. It was Sky Golpe. Uh, it was Die With The Most Likes. And we did the Hackatow Christie's Leonardo da Vinci collab. Yeah, the hack of a bear. That was pretty good. I think I'm missing one though. It's gonna come to you in like 15 minutes and it's gonna kill you, and you're just gonna blurt out maybe an artist's not. name. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. So so as Mocha evolved outside of the bounds of like being an actual museum that people visit, which obviously is still a part of what we do, but it's I think a limited part of what we do. Like, what has the role of Mocha within crypto art? become in your eyes like when you well, see this i mean look look what we just did with this mosaic mm-hmm. right when you when you have the ability to pull together so many artists you know working at like the total top of their craft and they're willing to give something to something that is also just like an open call into a big fabric just totally trusting us to do something with it i think that's Cool. And I think it has become just like a bit of a focal point for for the art. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, it's a unicorn entirely. And I should note that if anyone's looking at this, my background today is uh, Who Killed Bambi, which was the uh, inimitable Angie Taylor's um, submission to the uh, Mocha fundraiser, and which you can get now as a burn to redeem if you uh, go to her Twitter page. Yeah, I mean, there's not quite much else like it. I think like it's a good it's a good point where a voice emerges that artists might be thinking and they might be talking about with each other but sometimes they might be afraid to say publicly yeah i mean it's hard right blacklisting is real if you're to go against anyone or or let loose an unpopular opinion um especially if it gets picked up by the like wrong person and they see it they feel it's a personal affront they go on the offensive and we've seen that happen before um an institution which is inherently impersonal does have a kind of armor, right? An armor in, in two senses to be defensive of artists, but also to be offensive and to say the things that people don't seem to want to say, whether it's like taking on the GM, uh, I don't know, the Wagme I mean, GM. We took, like we took on Wagme and GM and failed miserably, you know? There's always a bit of like, <laughs> I think, a twist in everything that's trying to be do, to be done in the same way that crypto, you know, is, is a bit of a thorn or like a release valve in a system that is a bit broken. So can this begin to be just like an alternative means uh, and give 
us a lot of the freedom to continue to think outside of convention and continue to think outside of the box and be experimental and be exploratory. Uh, and I, you know, I still, whenever I get lost on what the museum is supposed to do, I just go back to the manifesto because the manifesto as the day we wrote it is still true to this day, as I think it will be true in 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. There's one line from the manifesto that I think is so important, right? It's uh, at its core, the museum of crypto art challenges, creates conflict, provokes and puts forward the broad representation of perspectives meant to upend our sense of who we are. It poses two questions. What is art and who decides? And uh, uh, that always invokes to me the, uh, uh, a piece, Shitty Art by Nino Artero, um, w- which takes on uh, Jimmy Dadith, who had this, I don't know, very classical idea, like stop putting your art out there. You're devaluing it with all this shitty art. And like, I always think about that in the terms of like calling things shitty art and saying like, why? why who, I, was who made fighting, you the, uh... I was fighting somebody again today about that. <laughs> you know, that you are devaluing the art by putting all of this, like this is just culture. You know, this is, it's not like everything that everybody shares on Instagram is culture, right? It's not like people lining up to buy sneakers is considered art. You know, there's something, there is a bigger umbrella here. And until we kind of like, you know, like stop turning up our nose to this and invite more people to play in it and say that they can be owners of this and they can be participatory in this movement that is as far as we will go is as big as, as we can make it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have two things I want to say, but like, that's a Daim uh, Al-Yad point as well. I think in his operographer's uh, manifesto or in his uh, crypto art manifesto, yeah. he mentions that like art is the things that declare themselves to be art, but you have to make that declaration. It's not implicit. Uh, right. It has to be put in the right places. It has to be created with intention and it becomes art simply by having the intention of that, which I thought we figured out in like, the 1910s with Duchamp <laughs> right. people seem to keep being uh having difficulty with it no matter how many Duchamps and Warhols pass through the door and which are accepted as art uh, the amount of people that look at the Campbell's soup can and say oh yeah this is art but x over here isn't is uh, a yeah. little bewildering to me I mean people like I think something that was really interesting is you know we began to decontextualize it Right. The museum began to decontextualize it in a way that was more important than like the context of the marketplace. Right. Because when something is presented in the context of a marketplace, then it's immediately commodified and it loses its value. Right. So an art ecosystem does not work unless there is like a third party validating it as art. Well, yeah, I mean, that's such an important point i feel like i say this all the time about art being a product of its context not just of the artists themselves and who they are but of where you're seeing it how it's being postured to you i mean i I think it's wonderful that you can't really look at these artworks without seeing a description from the artist and a title and the owners and things like that like that's all really important but again yeah like you go on OpenSea, and the biggest number there or the biggest like text there besides the art itself is the current price whether that's an offer whether that's a floor price it's all like right there in front of you um, it, yeah, again, it forces the thing to be in, taken in a certain context. When an artist gets a museum solo exhibition, the context of that is so overwhelming that you just automatically elevate it to a pedestal. Any artwork in any big museum 
is elevated to that level. Um, you know, I, I thought that's why it was so important when like Cosimo Medici donated those works to LACMA uh, or LACMA, or, like just by being held in that museum, just by being proffered amongst these other works, it is elevated to a different plane. Um, I think that that's what we've done with Mocha as well. I mean, like, look, I am, I am so proud of the Mocha team for in seeing all the bullshit that the <laughs> that the bull market brought and all like the redundancies and just like the terrible copying of ideas and the degradation of the culture how steadfast everybody was in really sticking to the values and saying like whether good or bad you know we're going to be here to speak for this movement and you know we're not really going to like sell the soul of what this is and what this means and I think, you know, where so many others, you know, like just like ran out of their money and ran out of their goodwill, what we've done and can will continue to do will just like hopefully continue to resonate bigger and bigger with the people we're trying to support. You know, this reminds me of a story. One of the first things I wrote for uh, Mocha was a, an encapsulation of the community collection. And I had spoken to Renee about like, what was the ethos behind the community collection? I was really new to crypto art, maybe a month, month and a half. I had written one piece on um, Fabiello, which you know, I can get into the story of that in a moment or another time. But Renee kept saying, oh, it's about people expressing themselves. And I was like, yeah, but like, what's, what's the draw? Like, what's the appeal? And he's like, oh, it's about people expressing themselves. <laughs> and, and he just kept saying this in different ways. And I, and at a certain point, I realized that that's, everything right and it's so important to so many people in this space these like simple principles that i think get kind of diminished or uh left behind in all these other spheres right that it's like a byproduct of crypto art and not like the single fundamental underlying core it's the thing you hear from all these artists and it's you know and all these collectors like art and loves to say it like it's about buying the art with no expectation it's about the possibility of expressing oneself as an artist as a collector as a writer um and when you find an opportunity to do that, like with Mocha, and if, if I if I can go on a small tangent about like my early experience with Mocha, like, you know, I had been trying to make it as a writer for a decade and I had had no luck and the pandemic put me out of my restaurant work and I really wasn't in a position to get back into that. And I was freelancing the best I could and my unemployment was running out and I met Shivani and Shivani was talking about this project that I didn't really understand. I was dabbling in Solana PFPs at the time. Uh, my first introduction to Solana PFPs and the greater NFT ecosystem. And then having an opportunity to just write about Fabiello, uh, his piece Floyd's facets in the Genesis collection and getting to write about whatever I wanted to, there was no assignment. There was no, you know, this needs to be SEO optimized. It was just, Hey, Oh, you like this piece? Do you want to write about it? And I reached out to the artist and he said, Oh, you're with Mocha. Awesome. I'll, I'll give you an interview. And it's just been, consistently that over and over again every time i reach out to somebody for an interview or reach out to somebody for a quote the not just the willingness the enthusiasm they have to work with us or work with me and for a very long time even now you know i'm kind of an under the radar player um i don't do a super job at self-promotion but it didn't matter because i was associated with mocha i was associated with yourself and just the idea of having that kind of institutional backing opened up all these doors, these doors to my own kind of expression, all these artists, all these stories that I was interested in writing about. Um, you know, I don't think 
you've given me an assignment on what to write or the museum has given me an assignment on what to write since maybe my first thing, it was just follow your nose. And that just does not happen anywhere. That was always the, that was always the thing, right? And I think this is what I told everybody when they came in, like, nobody knows what they're doing here. Right. You know, we don't have a ton of funding. We're all going to like be as scrappy and committed and passionate as possible. And we're going to take care of each other like a family but this is only going to work as much as you care about it. So nobody is ever going to tell you what to do, but you have to pursue what you are passionate about. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is how like the rooms project was born of like Renee and Kirk's vision. And like all of these different facets were just born out of like passion and discovery of what we wanted to see and thought the space, you know, needed. I remember you asking me once you said, where do you want Mocha to get you to? And I had never heard, I had never been experienced like an employer that had in any sense been wondering what they could be a launch pad to, you know, the idea that like, we want you to achieve something. We don't want you to bring things here necessarily. I mean, obviously that was implied, but like, that was just such a paradigm shift uh, again to somebody who's been working with clients for a long time and Clients are all about what can you do for me? What can you do for me right now? Naturally, right? I'm not saying that that's wrong in any sense, but that's the nature of the gig, right? You are, how can your past lead to something for me now? Not how can something for me now lead to your future? Because the exposure to the art and the exposure to the artist will just inherently change you, right? Mm -hmm. And it will make you more creative and will allow you to see more opportunities, Mm -hmm. Right. And the more and in crypto, of course, it moves so fast that the more opportunities you can see, the more likely, you know, you kind of get to the tip of the spear Mm -hmm. in like what is important and being able to pull disparate information and consolidate it into what is going to be for everybody else. What is that gift that you have to like give and share? It doesn't work when you take an old model and port it into the system. It might work temporarily, but this is about, you know, inciting people's imaginations and idea of what is going to come next, because frankly, people are sick and tired of old systems. So you have to like align yourself with the artists and align yourself with the creativity and get on the speeds and figure out like what the destination is. And it's also about validating the path that we're on at the moment. Uh, we spoke about this with Polyani last week, but you know, when you go to a restaurant, every fork is polished, every napkin is folded. Somebody right. did that work. And I think when you don't think about like the artistic canon, right? You're just like, oh, these are the artists who were accepted as being the masters, the best or whatever. Like people did that. People made that work happen. And I realized early on, again, with, with Fabiello, he was like, nobody's written about my work like this. Uh, and that's a consistent theme I've heard all the time when I write about these artists is like, wow, it's amazing to have somebody care about my work like this. And it's not a given that there's going to be amazing work in the world. And someone is going to plant their flag and say, I love this work. Here's a demonstration of how much I, I care about it. That's not a given. And it means a lot to people, not only again, to be shown or nudged towards the future, but also to be validated that they are in a place where like they deserve to be on that path in the first place. I mean, we all deal with the imposter syndrome. Anyone creative does. Yeah. I mean, look, that was, that was the, that was so much of what I was doing and just like beginning to put bids out there. We've talked about this a lot. It's just like, let people feel seen, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, and then the, the permanent collection was a way for those people who really started this movement that benefited so many more people other than themselves primarily to at least have that moment of recognition that like, you know, I, I was seen, I was there, you know, these people know and, and see that. And, you know, this thing, this monumental tectonic shift in like the, the art world, it, it came from there. It came from nowhere else than there. Mm -hmm. uh, these people, you know, without any expectation of really anything, putting their, out in, their, their art out into the world. Mm -hmm. And that to me, again, is like the real art of this movement is having like the faith and the belief that there could be a better system and using like the art as a, as a token modifier for a like socioeconomic paradigm shift. You know, uh, we, we spoke about wanting to jump into the fundraiser a little bit and actually looking at some pieces. I do just want to ask you one more question before we do that. What have been some of the challenges of keeping Mocha ideologically you know, pure and progressive and out of the market? I mean, how, like, what are the things that set upon you that made that particularly challenging? I mean, there were compromises and sacrifices and, you know, especially, you know, the, the early artists, the, the real crypto artists, there is, you know, everybody's very opinionated and you can't please everybody. Right. So when you do kind of, I guess, I guess we do community building work. And that's so strange to me because I never thought of myself in that way. But, you know, you, you have to kind of do as much as possible to make everybody happy without showing bias. And, you know, it's, it's delicate. Mm -hmm. It's delicate. And, you know, I think we know a lot of the history. I don't, want to say like we have authority right which is why we try and turn it over but it's also like a new system and it's incredibly complicated the technology and all of the things that we were trying to do you know it's it's not it takes somebody willing to buy into the the ideology and the long-term vision is vision of this all and you know not so many of those people exist amen so anyways i'm going to share my screen right now and bring up the uh, the mocha fundraiser can you see it on there? I can't have both screens up. Oh, there we go. So anyways, for all of you that don't know, if you go to app.manifold.xyz slash C slash mocha dash fundraiser dash 2023, it was a mouthful the first time I said it, it was a mouthful this time. You can see the fundraiser. You can see a list of all uh, of the information here. Um, we have obviously the mint price 0 0.0142069 ETH. Uh, how many are minted? We have three days, 19 hours, 54 minutes, 25, 24 23 seconds left you should you should refresh it because we've sold 10 on this podcast have we booyakasha there it is 10 21 same amount of time left and you'll notice if you're watching this that every time you refresh the page the fundraiser resets itself in a different order and this was on purpose uh i mean it's not only fun to look at but it's important like you said we have no bias here um there's artists of all shapes sizes success levels geographic origin points you know, a, a random distribution is the only way that we can communicate the fact that like, just by being an artist, you are like on the, the same tier as everyone else. I, I, I was, and you should be, be able to, to just click on one and see that, you know, once yeah. you click on one, the, the image comes full screen, you get to know who did it, you have a link to their Twitter. 
Uh, and all of this you get for $25. Yeah, it, it, honestly, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, that one, Monica Rizzoli, which one? flower. Up, up, there's Hans, that flower right there. Thank you, Monica. I loved that piece in submission. There's Shivani. Is that you in the background there? I don't think so. Oh, maybe it is. Is that a coochie there? Kind of, yeah, that's me and a coochie. Where, is that in the church? Oh, you know what? I know exactly what that is. It's a picture off of these like re- full face reflective uh, <laughs> COVID protectors. There's Hans. Hans is the pixels. Hans is the pixels. And I thought we could just like send it down like crazy. It'll populate. And then we could just pick a piece. Look at that. Populates in real time. Oh, there's mine. Mine's like some robots shaking hands with humans. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I was curious what the inspiration behind this piece was. I just thought it would be cool because I pl- we plan to do these every year. Uh, if I could document uh, from an AI standpoint, a, because of course they're so notorious with, with hands, but like a human shaking hands with a robot. And if we could see that AI produced evolution over time, right? So I, ideally, I would imagine at some point, in the next couple of years could be next year that it's just like a perfect robot shaking hands with a perfect human hand. But I thought that was like the most complex thing to, to ask an AI to do. We got Dimitri's piece in there. There's Dimitri. Yeah. It's, that's pretty fun. Thank you, Dimitri. How did you stumble on that smiley face as a like mocha symbol? Cause I know we have, I have a mocha pin right in front of me. Yeah. What was the, the idea between the yin yang, the portal? And the I mean, if we face? want to talk about like the, the ideation of the, the mocha logo, it's like, how do we take early internet vibes? How do we take early rave vibes and like mash them together to, to get something. And uh, you know, that smiley face is, is early rave vibes. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like peace, love, and, and metaverse. I want to just, while I'm here and we're talking about our own visions, I contributed this little piece to the uh, fundraiser. Uh, if you're watching, you'll notice that it's just a dot. I minted something like this on zero one, but I was like, how can I take AI and use it like the most advanced possible, like machine uh, technology yet and create something that's like so completely uninspiring and interesting, like this not particularly i mean it actually is particularly well done but like just a dot and it's a period baby the beginning and the end of everything what about that booba oh there's deaf beef and that booba viedman's piece is cool yeah the yeah, rabbit hole we love that uh that one rules thank you for that one i loved that one i mean it really just is super meaningful going through this and like just seeing the the glut of crypto art i mean that's what crypto art is right it's this complete abandonment of all like the aesthetic or theoretical rules of artistry it's just information right which is the internet itself personified in some kind of like expressive form in some kind of artistic medium it's just everything all at once like all right in front of you with very limited logic or reason tying it together but that's kind of like the beauty of it. i think this is alec yeah nice alec the red is either benoit or arc Benoit. Benoit's the, uh, he has the and other mocha, right? Yeah, it says another red pixel. Arc, Arc contributed just a red pixel, so that was kind of funny to see two people do red pixels. That's a play on, um, well, we minted a red pixel right on the Mocha Super Rare Spaces, which itself was a response to a POC piece, right? Which was also just a red pixel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
so much we'll get, we'll being said that in just that yeah, little, we'll get, yeah, we'll get we'll get into that one another time. There's big comic. I saw that picture of Art Gnome. Yeah, there's a multiple pictures of Art Gnome in here, which is actually <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's appropriate, but it's also pretty funny. Yeah. Ezra Shibboleth put a poem on here that says, "One day gone, one day gone, one day gone, without a word, just like you always knew." I've been loving Ezra's poetry lately, and there's Pindar. Pindar has been been a huge supporter. Super grateful for everything Pindar's done and just like the buy-in and belief that there's mr richie who who was super cool got to meet uh him in portugal i mean the the piece itself for me like floods back memories joaquin vismarax i got to meet, meet in buenos aires those two next to each other what is the the red and the blue who did that one which one up one more Here? yeah 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 zaf god zaf god i thought that was cool Zafgod did uh, that piece in the Genesis collection, right? That's the name I'm forgetting, uh, which is oh, killing me. The the loop. The, oh, yeah, the, like, 2020 acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great piece. What's that fingerprint one? JSF. Yeah, thank you, JSF. Uh, you know, that's a really interesting point you said about this flooding back memories because, you know, I, I've I You're the Mirren. Sorry. Yeah, I just I, I no no I, I always say this right like crypto is just this flood of artwork and things and it just all gets lost because it happens so quickly and it's so momentary right and um and it's amazing like all these things this is 713 people 713 moments Easter tray is on here like 713 art styles at this stage of the game all captured and like basically preserved you know I I, I without like wanting to seem like I'm like marketing this too much I mean it really is like you're attaining a collection of all these artists. I mean, just there's this Thomas piece itself. Is, yeah, there's Thomas Stokes. You could actually burn to redeem a Mocha NFT for uh, for this piece. Um, and Thomas Stokes is amazing. Cobra, you have a Thomas Stokes piece in your uh, house, don't you? I do. And, you know, Thomas stayed with me for a while and painted like the most. It was just incredible. It was so cool. Painted the most incredible work. Yeah. You know, there's there's something from Plant Daddy of, of my cat. Where right this below one? the big gooey, yeah, on a, like a three D camera at, at the, the Mocha Church. Ridiculous. Obviously, Jimmy Squire. Jimmy Squire. Jimmy Squire, product uh, of a lot of, uh, <laughs> which caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> our Mocha mascot winner. Yeah, our Mocha mascot winner after our, like uh, I, I believe the big winner. Yeah, he, Jimmy Squire <laughs> hacked the Mocha contest. Here I was, I was rooting so hard for Jimmy Squire, and he just tanked his own chances of a. Uh, that that was a tough one. Tough amazing. day for Jimmy Squire. Amazing. I mean, again, it's just it's just incredible. Is this Nacho? Yeah. Nacho. I, said, I, I tweeted about this the other day, but Nacho Frades has like one of the absolute most recognizable art styles in the space. Yeah. I like it's it's amazing to me. I got to meet Nacho, I think, in Lisbon as well. Coldly with the three D glasses, of course. I mean, it really is a who's who, and it's not just a who's who of who's in crypto. It's a who's who of like who supported us and who cares about us. And, yeah. Who, who wants to be represented in this collection? It's incredibly meaningful. It, there's my background right now, the Angie Taylor piece, uh, Who Killed Bambi, also redeemable as a burn to redeem. If you go to mocha.fundraiser.com, you can see all of the uh, burn to redeem pieces currently available if you're interested in maybe picking up another Mocha DNFT and getting a piece from your favorite artist. Have we reached the end there's here? Stella Bell. Stella Bell. And last but not least, Colin Henderson. Paisley. Paisley is all hell. Anything else you want to point out on here specifically? Anything you want to see if we can find? No, I mean, I, I yeah, I didn't see the Snowfro piece. We did manage to sneak him in in the in the very last second. He was very very kind. 
I'm sure it's in there. Everybody else can do it. There, there's a Guido piece. Had the no, John Sky Hammond, Colpe. who I think is is hilarious. Yeah, he didn't too much. We did. He wanted to do a collab with me in the DMs, and that's where we got. And he didn't like it too much, but <laughs> I think it was. Are you ready for the future? Is that was that Sarah or Matt or was that Sasha Styles? Uh, I'm not sure. I know Matt's is um, the living Matt's artist. Sasha Styles. I thought. Shout out Sasha Styles for that piece because that is cool. Sasha Styles is the goat. Yeah. Sasha Styles has like a universal approval rating. It's so rare in this space. Token Angels with the a lot of money piece. I thought that was that was touching. I've been looking for two pieces as I scroll through this, and I couldn't find either of them, which just demonstrates how much art is in here and how cool it is to like go through and explore. So, anyways, we would really appreciate everyone picking up one or 10 or more of these nfts and we should tell people that the one of one is minted on super rare it's not a dynamic nft it is the full whatever 35 megabyte mosaic that is assembled to say mocha i believe there it is there you go good job i believe the bid is still with raptor news at 1.427 Yep. The auction is ending on Saturday, or I believe Sunday the 3rd, which is also an important date because it will coincide with our 24-hour live stream, which we have doing. We'll be doing it basically in the same sense that we're doing this now. It's a bunch of people up on stage hanging out. We have an absolutely illustrious list of guests through all day Saturday from like 12 p.m. EST to like 8.30 p.m. EST. We are like booked solid with people like Matt Kane and art gnome um and una like giselle flores will be on there die with the most likes like we have a ton of people who will be coming on and talking to myself talking to colborn talking to anubis uh talking to julian brangold like we just want to have a whole blowout of art and then all night it'll just be you know we're going 24 hours we'll be sleep deprived we'll be raffling off all sorts of stuff we'll be raffling off nfts raffling off experiences uh we'll be raffling off Untitled XYZ just sent us a bevy of his own handmade NFTs that we'll uh, be raffling off some of as well. So we really want people to hang out with us through the night as we do things as interesting as drink a lot of beer, play chess, uh, <laughs> talk t- talk about art, and uh, figure out how the hell we're going to fill 12 hours in the middle of the night until uh, our illustrious tech team of Renee uh, Schmidt and uh, Michael, who you might better know as Clintano, uh, are going to come on and, and do some rooms demonstrations. So we got a lot of really awesome stuff coming up. Yeah, and I will I will say we are nowhere near our goal of where we need to be to fund the museum's operations. So we do <laughs> really need your support. If you like what we do, uh, please continue to you know buy an open edition or consider making a bid on the mosaic. Uh, we are going to keep pushing but if you can and are compelled uh please check out the work that we do and if you and if you can't buy just spread the word um yeah spread the word and if you are an artist who has submitted a piece or an artist that wants to help you can also set up a burn to redeem page of that open edition token yeah you can go to our twitter you'll find all the information there um, as a reward for sitting through all of this stuff about the fundraiser, I will not be talking about my fantasy football team until next week. Nice. Uh, so you're very welcome. Um, Colborn, anything else you want to get to today or you think that's uh, that's enough for the people? I thought that was good. I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was wonderful. I had fun. I all, yeah, me too. History and Mocha, looking at a bunch of awesome artworks, sharing some memories, a couple of laughs. What more could you want from a Colborn and Max special podcast? Surely. All right. So let's head out of here. Uh, Any last words for the folks? 
No, we appreciate you all. If you love Mocha, support yeah. us. We love you. Let's keep doing it all together. Um, bigger and better. We keep building. Amen to that, my friend. All right. Well, thank you all for being with us. We'll be back next Wednesday at a time around this time. So please join us then. This has been another fun-filled episode of the Mocha Live podcast. Everyone take care of yourselves and uh, hug somebody you love or hug yourself. Bye-bye, everybody. This podcast was produced and edited by myself, Max Cohen. Huge thank you to Coborn Bell for being my trusty co-host, as always. A huge thank you to all of you for your attention, your support. Thank you to all the 713 artists who submitted a piece to our fundraiser. Thank you to Julian Brangold for creating intro music today. And thank you to Day Fox for creating the cold open music. We'll see everyone next week.